Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. As we continue our mission to find the dynasties of professional football history, author Mike Richmond joins us to remind us just how good the Washington Redskins teams under Joe Gibbs were in the 1980s and early 90s. Mike's coming up in just a moment to tell us all about it. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal of positive football history. And welcome to another edition of where we go to the Dynasty Quest. We're going to go back and look at some of the great teams in professional football history and try to have an expert tell us a little bit about them so we can make our own determination if they are indeed a dynasty or a darn good football team. And I think all these teams we've been talking about are darn good football teams, definitely. And we'll see if they, they meet the criteria. Tonight, we are going to talk about the Washington franchise. And uh, you know some great teams have come out of there. But one particular era we're going to talk about is the, the what we call the Joe Gibbs era. And we have an expert on a subject. His name is Mike Richmond. You can find his website at MikeRichmondJournalist.com, where he has all kinds of information on the Redskins including his four books that he's written on the subject, uh, the Redskins Encyclopedia, the Washington Redskins Football Vault, Joe Gibbs, An Enduring Legacy, and his newest one, which is out very soon, George Allen, A Football Life. Mike Richmond, welcome to the Pigpen. Hi, Darren. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah. I'm very yeah. excited to be here. Well, Mike, we are excited to have you because, you know, we love talking about professional football and you and I, we met down at the PFRA convention this past summer down in Pittsburgh and uh, you were nice enough to tell me a little bit about your, your, some of your writings that you had going on and one book uh, that's coming out right now. And, uh, you know, we'll, we're going to have a, a special episode on that here, I, I believe in a few weeks, we'll let people in on that more, but we'll probably be touching on some of the subject matter. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your background that got you the points of uh, writing four books on the, the Washington franchise? Sure. Well, I'm pretty certain that this all started in my youth and, it was a time when around 10 years old, that's when George Allen came to Washington. It was 1971. And I just became hooked on that team. I mean, I had I knew a little bit about the Redskins from the sixties, but that era is kind of fuzzy to me. I mean, I don't remember a whole lot, but when Allen came here, he just 
lit the town on fire. I mean, this is a franchise that hadn't been to the postseason in any capacity since 1945. So he took them to the playoffs for the first time in a quarter century in 1971. And I would just uh, live and die by how well that team did on a Sunday. And I remember I had these huge emotional swings. I'd be the happiest guy if they won. I'd be the saddest guy if they lost. And at the same time, thoughts were, were crossing my mind about something journalism or writing related or storytelling. And this had been instilled in me by my parents to a, a large extent. My my father got me uh, acclimated to, to sports, actually playing a lot of sports and, you know, just getting lost in the playground every day, the schoolyard or whatever. And my mother took me to every, almost every museum you could think of in the Washington area. I'm from Montgomery County, Maryland. So she, she took me to so many museums in the DC area and I just became just uh, so immersed in various types of history. And I, I think that's like American half history. of the buildings in DC are museums, aren't they? <laughs> oh yeah. She took me to like so many, I don't want to say every museum, but she took me to a lot of museums in the DC area. A lot of the Smithsonian museums, the you know museum of American history being one. I know we went there a lot, uh, air and space and other museums in the DC area. We went to so many of them and I just, I gained a love for history and, and, uh, writing and storytelling at the same time. In the sixth grade, I did a class project called An Amateur Who Played Like a Pro. And it was a, a bound project in sixth grade. And uh, so I wrote, uh, I think it was about 20 pages long and uh, all handwritten. And it was about this amateur player at Ohio State who starred in the Rose Bowl back in those days. The Big Ten actually did play the uh, pac 10 or whatever it was back then in the Rose Bowl. So this guy played uh, USC in the Rose Bowl and he did really well. So I wrote a story about it. It was all, all fictional. But so I had it, the thought at the time of, you know, making that combination of uh, writing and, and sports. And sure enough, I implemented it later in life. I studied journalism at the University of Maryland. I have a master's degree in uh, journalism as well from American University. And I, you know, just one thing after another, I later on uh, became associated with so you know, various journalistic outlets in the D.C. area. I also um, hooked on with the Associated Press. I was reporting for them uh, from the mid-90s to the late 90s, and I got to go out to uh, Redskins uh, training camp. And I they got, got to know the team. They took me in. I did work for the uh, Snyder era when, when he bought the team. I was doing work for them. Uh, and at around the same time, so this is like the early 2000s, uh, I landed my first uh, contract with a publisher to write the Redskins Encyclopedia, which was my first book. Wow. So, Your credentials on uh, Washington Redskins, Commanders, the Washington football team, they are off the charts. So we definitely have the right guy here for uh, talking about this subject. I can see that. Now, do you remember, okay, you remember George Allen. Do you have any memories of when uh, Lombardi was the coach of the Redskins for that that brief period? I honestly got it. I have to say I don't accept what I've read and seen in video and photos. Other than that, I don't remember actually being at any games in 69 when he was the coach here but i the following year 1970 i vividly remember being at a redskins game my father took me to a a redskins game at rfk stadium the redskins beat the cincinnati Bengals that day 20 to nothing i remember being at that game i'm sure he took me to games in the 60s as well i, I just i just can't make the connection in terms of actually remembering something visible on the field at the time but those were the big exciting days of Sonny Jurgensen. I mean, he was 
uh, lighting the the sky in terms of his his passes. I mean, then he had some amazing, you know, amazing receiver core as well. Charlie Taylor, Jerry Smith, and Bobby Mitchell in those days. And uh, so, but they just they just weren't winning consistently. I mean, they were at best a 500 team in 1966, which was the year, by the way, given our the uh, game we saw the other day with the Denver and uh, uh, the Miami Dolphins. Miami winning 70 to 20. That 66 game when the Redskins beat the Giants 72 to 41. That was the last regular season game in NFL history when a a team scored 70 points. That was in, in mm-hmm. 1966. Wow, so fifty some years ago, fifty five years ago, or, or so. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Amazing! Wow, that's, that's incredible. So uh, history is being made as we 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 speak here. So that's that's great. Uh, right. Okay, so the reason I said that is I always try to imagine. You know, you have somebody like Lombardi, and all of a sudden, you know, he says, "Hey, I'm no longer with the team. I've taken to all these championships, and I'm coming to your town." And I just can't imagine. I, I guess. The, It'd be a comparison like today would be if Bill Belichick just said, "Hey, I'm I'm done with the Patriots and I'm going to go to you know some franchise that's been struggling. You know, I'm going to go to the Houston Texans or so- something like that." And what their fan base, the excitement that that would generate uh, when you have a legend coming in. So, well, well, from what I've read in, in the newspaper media coverage at the time, which was nowhere near what it is today, but still, when Lombardi came to the nation's capital and in I guess it was February of 1969 when he had his first press conference. It was like, um, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea. I mean, it was it was I a bet. big deal. I mean, you had a godlike figure coming here to, to coach the Redskins, a legend. And so, uh, yeah, he attracted a lot of media for its day uh, at the uh, hotel where that press conference was held. And even Lombardi joked uh, he tried to temper expectations or enthusiasm. He said, oh, it's not really true that I can uh, walk across the Potomac, even when it's frozen. But he was a legend back then, too. And in fact, that season, they, they finished seven, five and two was uh, their first winning season since 1955. Wow. Amazing. But we're going to talk be talking tonight about a coach that came a few uh coaching staffs after those gentlemen, George Allen and, and Vince Lombardi. And that's the sort of the Joe Gibbs era, sort of that the glory days of, of, of Redskins uh, fandom, I assume, because you had some championships in there. You had some great teams, uh, you know, a plethora of uh, outstanding quarterbacks and running backs and defenders uh, that just uh, galore some of these uh, great players. And you know, we want to take a look at that era and try to you know get some information to determine in our minds, you know, you know, is this one of the great dynasties of NFL history? So maybe uh, you could help uh, shed some light on that era for us. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, definitely that, that Gibbs era is, is one of the greatest for an individual team in NFL history if we're going to define it as a dynasty, it could you could very well make that point. Uh, having won three Super Bowls, I mean that's that's the biggest case I think you can make for that team, uh, along with the fact that they had one of the top winning percentages in the NFL. If I'm correct, the 49ers during the 12 year period that Gibbs was a coacher, I think the 49ers topped them in winning percentage during that period. He was here from 1981 through 1992. So I believe the 49ers did top them in winning percentage, but they were number two. They were they were up there. And uh, so based on those two facts, you could make 
definitely be a valid argument to say that they were a dynasty at the time. Here's my personal take on that team. And I have a really, you know, strong inside look on, on what happened. Two of their Super Bowl wins came in strike shortened seasons. Their first Super Bowl win was in the 1982 season, Super Bowl 17. And their second one was in Super Bowl, it was in the 87 season. They won Super Bowl 22. Both of them were strike shortened seasons. So you can make all kinds of, you know, judgments about what may have happened if those were true seasons. Uh, did any teams give up in 82 because they hadn't played in 57 days? And so when they returned to play, you know, were they in shape, out of shape, whatever? Were they mentally all there at the time? So, I mean, did they have the same uh, desire at that point in the season to excel as they did at the beginning of the season? So you, you could make that, you know, those uh, that type of discussion about the 82 season. The 87 season – you had the uh, the replacements, the Redskins replacements finished three and zero that year, and they maintained for that team when the regulars came back after the strike. The uh, the Redskins maintained first place in the NFC East. What if the replacements had gone zero three? Okay, right. What what would have happened to that team? Would they have been able to still climb out of that and win the NFC East, or have even gone to the playoffs? Based on that, so you you have to take all those variables in mind when talking about those two teams. I, I, other Reds, diehard Redskins fans, you know, they may disagree with me, or you know, they say that those were two great teams, and in the end, the very end, they absolutely were. But you have to look at the entire stretch of the season to really, you know, gauge what what may have really happened during those two periods. I know you as a football enthusiast and historian, you, you can see where I'm coming from. Yeah, most definitely. Now, the thing is, you know, there's a couple elements that are really interesting in looking at these Redskins teams. You know, first of all, you know, really we're looking at from, from the first Super Bowl to the third Super Bowl. Was that 1982 season to the 1991 season, if I'm, I'm correct? Right, 1991 season, which was actually, I mean, that was a legitimate full season. That was a real, that I believe was the, by far the, best of the three Redskins team that won Super Bowls. That team finished 14 and two in the regular season and then just, just blew out everybody in the playoffs. There was not, there was no team uh, was within breathing distance of, of the Redskins in their three playoff games that year, including the Super Bowl. I mean, Buffalo just got destroyed. Yeah. And uh, they, they also had a four Super Bowl appearance in there. That was the one that they played uh, the Marcus Allen uh, Raiders right. that uh, Marcus Allen had that tremendous day and sort of, you know, deflated the balloon of, of Washington that day. But hey, that that happens. But, you know, four appearances in was that 11 or 12 year period. 12 and that's. Years. That's a that's, that's pretty outstanding. And but they the thing that they did is they had sort of the the 49ers like we talked about had their Super Bowls in between uh, so, some of those Super Bowls weren't they mostly sandwiched in between? They, I think they had 1980 and then they but they right. had their their big run. They had 80, 81 and 84, then 88. And you had the you know the eighty five Bears and the eighty six right. Giants in there, so it's just a, a very crowded uh, NFC of uh, with some great teams winning Super Bowls in that right. decade. Those are some really really good teams. I mean, you could make the argument if that Bears team had, had kept their heads on straight after the eighty five season and they weren't doing the uh, Super Bowl shuffle or whatever the dance was that they created the the video. 
And if they have, if they had stayed focused on football, you don't know. I mean, they they could have been, you know, one, two or three more Super Bowls. I, I don't know, but that team I think could have been a lot better. It was the Redskins that beat them in the season in the playoffs in the two ensuing seasons after they won the '85 Super Bowl. Oh, okay. The Redskins so beat them in the postseason both years. That's 80, just when they knocked them out. '86 and '87, yeah. Okay, interesting. The other element is you know, usually when you're talking about these championship teams, you know, we know the the 49ers in the 80s, you know, they're they're basically, you know, Joe Montana was sort of their you know, their their core quarterback. We know Steve Young came in near the end there. Uh but and you know, sort so generally there's a core of players that are the same. But the Redskins not so much. Their their core sort of evolved, which makes them even more interesting and intriguing because uh you know Joe Gibbs did it with what three different quarterbacks winning those three super Rules. Well, that's that's the thing about Joe Gibbs. I mean, definitely his his winning percentage and the fact that he finished sixteen and five in the postseason. I mean, those are marks that you know, are hard to to match or, or exceed. But the fact that he won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, none of whom will ever get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, that is extraordinary. Uh, Joe Theismann was the best of the three. It was Theismann, uh, Doug Williams, and. Uh, Mark Rippon. You, know, you, so, you don't think Theismann has a shot at the Hall of Fame someday? Uh, he, I don't think he'll ever get in. No? I mean, he's been a preliminary nominee, but his his greatest seasons were too short a period of time. He really didn't come on until like the late 70s, and then which was when Jack Pardee coached the team. And then he really he took off when Joe Gibbs came here in 81. That's when he really started putting up his, his greatest numbers. So from 81, basically, through 80. Four, 81, 82, for those four seasons, 81, 82, 83, 84, he was, he was probably among the best, if not you know, an elite quarterback in the NFL. 85, his game was starting to dip. And that was the year they had the ankle injury. So he really wasn't among the best quarterbacks in the league for you know the long period of time that you would really need, the extended period of time, you would really need one of those quarterbacks to be considered for selection to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yeah, and so the other two quarterbacks, like you said, were Doug Williams and Mark Rippon, right? Or- Doug Williams, uh, a refugee from the United States Football League, who who gives gives it actually initially was instrumental in drafting him in Tampa Bay in 1979. I believe that was Williams' rookie season. Gibbs was an assistant coach in Tampa at the time. And then uh, Gibbs went to uh, – Coach with Eric Coriel in San Diego. That's how Gibbs uh, hooked on over there. But Gibbs initially was instrumental in, in drafting Williams out of Grambling. I think it was, it could have been 78, if, uh, if not 79. It was one of those two seasons when Gibbs was as an assistant there. But um, but yeah, but Gibbs originally found him. So when, when Williams was a refugee from the USFL, Gibbs uh, re-signed him again with the Redskins in 1986. And that year, Williams was a backup to Jay Schrader. Then the following year, when Schrader became, uh, he, he was injured in the season opener and Williams came in. And then they uh, played musical chairs for basically the rest of the season. And then Williams came in the postseason that year. And that's when he, uh, Gibbs, Gibbs named him the starter for, in the uh, after the regular season finale against Minnesota. Williams came in, came in at halftime that game. And then Williams named him the starter for the playoffs after that. 
Yeah, I mean, we we forget, you know, I think how good uh, you know, Doug Williams was really a good quarterback. I mean, the guy had a rocket arm. Uh, I think he gets sort of a bad rap being associated with Tampa Bay. I mean, even though Tampa Bay, I think his first year, that's when they had that really good season. I mean, they had the, they had a couple really poor seasons their first couple of years when they came in the league. But I think that's sort of when they made their turnaround, I think, is when, when Williams was the there. NFC Championship game, I think. Didn't they lose right. to the Rams that year? Yeah. They lost like nine nothing to the Rams that year. The Rams, of course, then lost to the Steelers in the Super Bowl. But yeah, they they had a very good season that year. And Williams, well, I would never you know, consider him in the conversation though for greatest quarterbacks of all time or anything like that. No, no, no. I'm not saying that, but I I think that he just gets a uh, gets lost in our memories, and uh, maybe some of us that watched him, you know, we associate him with Tampa Bay. I think maybe that's what it is. But and he sort of just had that one really good year that you that comes to mind you think with Washington he might have had some other good years in there too like you said but that that's me not being a Washington fan that's what resonates with me going back you know 40 50 years ago and trying to think of these things but you know I was a teenager what do I know but uh, <laughs> from back then but he um let's see so and then Gibbs named him the bonafide starter after Super Bowl 22 but Williams just just couldn't I mean he he didn't rise to the occasion I mean, he had an opportunity he started for a lot of the 88 season and a few games in 89, but, but uh, Gibbs just, just uh, cut him after that. I, I don't think he played after in Washington after the 89 season. So, but he had an opportunity. Gibbs, Gibbs named him the true starter heading into the 88 season. So Gibbs yeah. rewarded him for his, his performance in Super Bowl 22. Nice. Now, now, why don't you remind us about who Mark Rippon was and how he came into the fold of Washington? Sure. Rippon was a rookie in 1986. That's when he was first drafted. And then he didn't start or gain any considerable playing time until the 88 season. That's when he first got on the field. And that's when he started rotating a little bit with, with Williams. And then 89, Rippon started, started more and more games while Williams started a few. And then 90, Rippon Rippen was the bona fide starter for most of the 90 season. And then 91 was when everything came together. Okay. But Ribbon really started coming to his into his own in like 90, I'd say, because the Redskins, they had a pretty good team. They went 10 and six that year. They beat the Eagles in the opening round of the playoffs that year. And that's when Buddy Ryan got fired. Okay. He got, he got fired after that, after that, like a few days after that loss to the Redskins in the opening round of the playoffs. I remember that game distinctly because I lived in Philadelphia at the time. I just remember mm-hmm. that you got a few people saying to me, oh, you, you're a Redskins fan. You got our coach fired. <laughs> but you know, you'd sit there and you're, I'm just making me think of it. You know, Washington really had some great quarterbacks for like those uh, two or three decades when you're going from, you know, Jurgensen and, and Kilmer and, you know, Theismann to, you know, Doug Williams and Schrader and you know, Schrader was, I thought was a pretty decent quarterback too. When he, he threw for 4,000 yards in 1986. Yeah. And, and you know, what? then ripping and you're just all these things, but the one sort of key, you know, at least in the, the latter part in the eighties was, you know, Joe Gibbs. So he was, hasn't to be quite the, the quarterback whisper. He was, he had a great eye for offensive talent and, and his staff did, did too. He also had Bobby Beathard, Bobby Beathard, the, the premier, uh, NFL general manager of that time, I would say, uh, he was, uh, you know, he was making a lot of the call, the personnel calls, you know, he and, he and Gibbs were, they had a great uh, triumvirate in, um, 
Jack and Cook, the owner, who seated the thar- I mean, gave a full authority to those guys, make decisions. He didn't uh, micromanage from from nothing you know, that I remember being reported on him micromanaging. I didn't hear anything about that. And then uh, Gibson and Bethard were a tremendous brain trust. I mean, they they really made amazing decisions uh, in the personnel department. I mean, that first of all, Gibbs inherited some really good players from the previous coaching regimes. Uh, he got some great players from Allen, uh, John Riggins being one, Joe Theismann, Mark Mosley, all of whom were instrumental in the 82 Super Bowl winning season. And uh, Mark Murphy, defensive back as well. He was great that year. Joe Lavender was a safety. Uh, so so uh, Gibbs inherited some really good players from Allen. He also got some great ones from Jack Pardee, the, his immediate predecessor. That 79 draft brought in Art Monk. Oh, yeah. And they signed Neil Okowitz as a free agent linebacker. Monty Coleman, linebacker, who later played like 16 years for the team. They drafted him that year, too. Uh, Don Warren, tight end. All of those guys were, you know, had a, had their fingerprints on the the glory run through the the Gibbs era. We'll be back with more from this interview in just a moment. Right after this. If you have ever seen a sports story on TV, or online, or maybe in a newspaper, chances are once upon a time you have seen it before. Hello, I'm Dana Augusta, former sports writer and now podcaster, and I host a show called Historically Speaking Sports, where we place a historical spin on a current sports headline or take the topic that most people are talking about and compare and contrast it through the lens of sports history. In this show, we talk to researchers, authors, and other sports history connoisseurs about what fans and analysts are talking about, yet in the terms of sports history. We also do a weekly top five countdown, highlighting moments that pertain to the subject of the show or the five greatest moments in the history of sports that took place that week. And to complete the show, we send a shout out to a famous sports figure or moment in sports history that both pertains to that episode or someone who had a dramatic role in sports history or an event in history that fans just need to be reminded of. The show, Historically Speaking Sports, where we put a historical spin on sports headlines. That's Historically Speaking Sports, right here on the Sports History Network. This is Greg Tranter, co-author of the Buffalo Bills an illustrated timeline of a storied team book. And you are listening to the Pigskin Dispatch podcast. And now back to the interesting conversation with our guests. This era that we're talking about, you know, this 12-year period. So Monty Coleman was sort of in there that that whole time. Daryl Green, the majority of that time too? He was, for the majority, yeah. He was uh, drafted in 83. So that was Gibbs' third season. And he stayed with Gibbs, of course, through the end of the 92 season and then beyond green didn't retire until after the 2002 seasons season. So he played 20 years in, in Washington. Okay. Was there any other players in there? We know the quarterback sort of was a, you know, a, a roulette wheel of quarterbacks going through that, that 1980s era. Uh, but how about any of the other players besides Coleman and green that were sort of, they're the majority of, of the, this run. Uh, Jacoby. The, okay. the hogs. Oh, all the hogs. All okay. the hogs. Are, well, except for Mark May, Raleigh McKenzie. He wasn't there the whole time. Mark May wasn't there the whole Jim Lachey wasn't there the whole time. But the initial core of hogs, R- Russ Jacoby, Grimm, and... Graham Bostick, they were there the whole time. Okay. 
Yeah, wow. they were there for the entirety of the Gibbs run. Wow, that's outstanding for an offensive lineman to have the longevity of that. That's that's it tremendous. Is, that was amazing. Mark May was not there the whole time. Um, who else? Dean was not there the whole time. Uh, George Stark was not there the whole time. Stark okay. was a holdover. He's, he was another holdover from, from the Allen years. He was originally acquired by George Allen. So, uh, But Stark was there for the first Super Bowl, as was uh, Fred Dean and Mark May. So all of those guys that they put in place as the Hogs in 81, Gibbs' first season, and the Hogs named that way by Joe Bugle, the offensive line coach, uh, they were there for the first Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl team, 82. Okay, interesting. And possibly 87, Super Bowl 22 as well. I believe all of those guys were still in play, except for Stark. Stark wasn't there for the Super Bowl 22 team. Okay. And Dean wasn't there either. All right. And now another, you know, fixture of the offense, you already mentioned John Riggins, who, you know, great running back in the, the earlier part of that run. Who are some of the other running backs uh, besides Riggins? And uh, maybe even talk a little about Riggins a little bit to, for listeners to help us remember what a great back he was. Yeah, well, Riggins was first acquired by by George Allen in uh, 1976. For whatever reason that year, it was an unfettered year in terms of free agency. It was just that one single season, 1976. So George Allen being George Allen, he went to school in free agency. He got Riggins, uh, Gene Fugit, Cowboys tight end, and Calvin Hill, uh, who came out of the uh, World Football League but had previously played for the Cowboys. And he got uh, Pat Sullivan, too, who I never played. But um, but those other those previous three that I mentioned did have an impact on the Redskins in 76, and they went to the playoffs that year. But uh, Riggins stayed on through the party era and then Gibbs, and he was he made such an amazing impact in 82. I mean, he demanded to carry the ball in the 82 postseason, which was because of the strike that year. The Redskins had four playoff games before the Super Bowl. Riggins gained, like, including the Super Bowl, he gained, like, 600-plus yards in that whole that whole period in, in the Super Bowl, 166 yards. He was named uh, – MVP of the game. Uh, he ran on the the most famous play in Redskins history, the 43-yard run on fourth down. It was a fourth and one call in the fourth quarter. The Redskins were trailing at the time 17 to 13. He ran the ball on that play for a touchdown, 43-yard touchdown. Redskins went up 20 to 17 and never looked back. They won the game 27-17. But Riggins was an interesting pickup by George Allen. I mean, he was still, uh, at the time, he was a very eccentric figure. You know, the the hairstyling, the uh, mohawk, uh, and just he, he was his own person, uh, beat to his own drum even at that time. And you would think that it would be totally antithetical to, to George Allen, I mean, who was like a straight-laced as you come. But George Allen signed him. And uh, so then, yeah, Riggins was Riggins in the ensuing years too. He, even under Gibbs, he didn't say crazy things. You know, he held out the 1980 season, which was parties last year. He held out. He, did, he thought that after the Redskins lost the season-ending game in 79 to the Cowboys and they were eliminated from the playoffs, that he didn't want to come back anymore. So he sat out 80. He came back in 81 when Gibbs came back. And as the story goes, Gibbs influenced him to come back. Gibbs went out to his house in Kansas to, or his ranch in Kansas to talk to him and influenced him to come back. And then when Riggins came back, he told the press, quote, I'm bored, I'm broken, I'm back. And he... <laughs> Came back and he had a great year in 81. That's when Gibbs implemented the 
single back offense, single back two tight end offense, which as the belief goes and, in, in, uh, you know, the video will show this as well, that he learned that from, from uh, Coriel in San Diego. He, but he modified it when he got here to Washington and yeah, the single back with Riggins. See Joe Washington had gotten hurt in the preseason. Joe Washington was going to be the back or they were going to either team in the backfield or Joe Washington was going to be the featured back. But Riggins took over. Joe Washington got hurt in the preseason that year. So Joe Washington, you know, the great running, really good running back from the Colts. The Redskins had acquired him. So he he got hurt. So Riggins took over as a single back. And um, so that's when it really took off that, that year. And then and then 82, the Redskins finished 8-8 eight and eight in 81. They won eight of their last 11 games. In 82 is when um, – oh, and I'm sorry. I, I have my years, I years mixed up. Washington got injured in the 82 preseason, Joe Washington. So Riggins became the featured back in, in 82. I had my, okay. my, my season mixed up. They Both Joe Washington and Riggins were there in 81. But um, but Washington got injured in the 82 preseason, and then Riggins became the featured back in 82. And then in the playoffs, that's when he demanded to carry the ball in that uh, extended playoff stretch. Okay. So yeah, the, the D so I can remember that, that playoff run. He was, he was quite the the man uh, with the ball in that, those games. That's yeah. for sure. That's for sure. Okay. So who was sort of uh, after, after Riggins had his, his run, who, who was sort of the ne- next feature back that came up through the Redskins? Um, they acquired George Rogers, I believe in 85. Riggins was there through 85. I think he retired after the 85 season, but they had acquired George Rogers in 85 he he started he got a lot of carries that year and there were other uh guys guys that they drafted uh um, trying to think well later on during the super bowl run it was a guy named ricky urbans they they drafted oh they um another guy they dra- they acquired later on was ernest Biner. they oh, got okay. the guy that did From the, the browns yeah yeah, yeah fumble in the play, uh, AFC Championship game, eighty-seven. Right. The Redskins later got him, and he scored a touchdown in in Super Bowl twenty-six. I remember asking him during an interview. I said, uh, "So, do you think scoring that touchdown in Super Bowl twenty-six was redemption for the fumble?" He said, "No, not really, not really." <laughs> he he didn't look at it that way. But I mean, it was a amazing, memorable moment for him having scored a touchdown in that Super Bowl. He also, I also asked him about how Marty Schottenheimer reacted when Biner was walking off the field at after he fumbled the ball in that, that AFC Championship game. He said Schottenheimer was great about it. You know, no, there was no yelling or anything like that. And, I mean, everybody. I don't think anybody put him down in any way. Yeah, so. it's a shame because he. I mean, he was such a good back. Even his career at Cleveland, you know, but. That's what everybody remembers is, is something bad happens. You know, Wade Boggs, you remember for him uh, ruining the Red Sox chances of winning the World Series at that time. And just, you know, one bad instance and it sort of, you know, uh, rottens the, the whole barrel of apples for that player. And that's a shame that that, that has to happen. But Biner was an outstanding back during his oh, career. Oh, he was. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he had uh, some some great totals throughout his career thousands of, of rushing yards but he he was great he was also a really good receiving back he was he could catch the ball out of the backfield so and then later on in his career after he left the Redskins didn't he I think he played for the Baltimore Ravens too he was still with the Ravens yeah, I, I think so yeah 
Yeah, I'm a Steelers fan, so all, all this is painful. Uh, remembering him at the Browns and the Ravens, so got to see him up close uh, and personal. Well, he had some great career longevity. Yeah, he, yeah. he was a really, really good runner, especially back. for the style of runner he is. You know, like Riggins too. You know, they they were just bruising backs, and to have that long right. of a career is amazing. So tells us what a great athlete they were. Absolutely, in yeah. Shape. So wow, excellent. So help tell us a little bit about the the defense. You know, during this run, who who are some of the the standouts on defense? Dexter Manley would be one of them. Well, first of all, going back to the 81 draft, which was arguably the greatest draft in Redskins history, they acquired Dexter Manley, Daryl Grant, who had the interception in the NFC Championship game in uh, in 82 that punched their ticket to Super Bowl 17. Those two were, were really good defense players. Manley had uh, 96 sacks in his career. Daryl Grant was a really good player. Charles Mann was another really good deep defensive lineman that, that they acquired in the 83 draft. I should say Manley was a, a defensive end. Daryl Grant was a defensive tackle. Um, and then uh, Charles Mann was another really good defensive end that they acquired in the 83 draft. He had 50-plus uh, sacks in his career. So he, he was very good. And uh, Neil Okowitz, the linebacker I referred to earlier, uh, middle linebacker, he, they signed him as a free agent in 79. Monty Coleman, Daryl Green, uh, Mark Murphy. Um, let's see. Dusick was there the, the early part. Um, Malott, Rich Malott, Mel Kaufman, really other, you know, very solid linebackers. Um, they were there as well. So th they had uh, some, I would say, they had a strong defense. I wouldn't say – in any year under Gibbs, I don't think it was one of the best defenses up in the league. But Richie Pettibone was the defensive mind at the time. He held, he was on staff, I believe, under Pardee, and then Gibbs kept him on, and he became the defensive coordinator. And so he had these really imaginative, imaginative defenses uh, through the eighties and early nineties. And um, so, uh, you know, the players really liked him too. And uh, so the defense was really, really crucial to a lot of the the Redskins wins throughout that era. Gibbs himself was an offensive-minded coach. Everybody knew that. I mean, he focused mostly on the offense. It was like two different head coaches almost. But but Pettibone was a really good defensive mind. Okay. Now, okay, now during uh, run championship runs and these great teams, you know, we look back and you know, there's some some key moments to them. You know, you think of like the catch of, when you think about the 49ers, that's probably one of the first plays. You might think about the immaculate reception for the Steelers run in the 70s. What were some of those moments or moment of, of those Redskins teams in that uh, Joe Gibbs era that uh, people would remember to, you know, there were the sort of like key elements uh, that may, took them to championship or what, at least ones that are so fond in our memory that. Uh... Sure. Well, one of the first one that sticks out in my mind is, you know, has to be Riggins run a Super Bowl 17. I mean, that was such an uh, iconic moment in NFL, not only Redskins history, but NFL history. I mean, NFL films caught him as he was uh, running toward the end zone. The NFL, the cameraman was looking directly at him. That's when you see, the the uh, facial expressions on, on the part of Riggins, the 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 grimace on his face and the determination to make it to the end zone. So NFL films caught him doing that. That's such an iconic moment. Um, like I said, in not only Redskins, but NFL history. Daryl Green chasing down Tony Dorsett in a night the 1983 Monday night game between the two teams, the season opener. Dorsett, even at that point in his career, he was in the latter stages 
he was still a very fast running back. Green came out of nowhere to run him down. Like Dorsett had already run like 70 yards or something on that play. Green chased him down, knocked him out of bounds, like around the five yard line. Uh, and, um, but that's when, when Green, for, people really took notice of who is this guy, Daryl Green? Sure enough, yeah. He was this guy that they found out of itty bitty uh, Texas, Texas AI, you know, get Bether found him. So just plucked yeah. him out. He was a he was a first round draft pick in '83. And interestingly, and I actually uh, interviewed Bethard about this several years ago. I and I asked, well, what would have happened if the Dolphins hadn't taken Dan Marino with the, with the 27th pick? And he said the the Redskins would have taken Marino with the 28th. Well, as as history goes, the Dolphins did take. Dan Marino and the Redskins took Daryl Green. So either way, they, they would have got a, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, most definitely. Huh, so those are two iconic moments. Um, certainly the, you know, Lawrence Taylor's tackle of Joe Theismann in the Monday night game, the the just, you know, cringeworthy sight of Theismann, his leg being crunched in that play. I mean, that is an iconic shot in itself. That Everybody remembers that. That that ended Theismann's career. He did try to make a comeback in '86, but he wasn't able to do it. His, he even told me one leg was shorter than the other, so he mm. he couldn't make the comeback. Um, you know, I, I was I don't know if you were reminded of that, but uh, week week two of this current season, uh, when the Steelers and the Browns played, and Minka Fitzpatrick hit uh, Nick Chubb, and when they said they didn't, the network didn't want to show the replay from the angle of the hit and it took me back and i i sort of appreciated it because i remember that day in 1986 or whenever it was when it happened on that monday night game it was a monday night game i believe too wasn't it monday night football i believe so yes uh, where you know abc did show that and it sort of stuck in your memory and you know it was, it was the water cooler talk the next day i'm like oh my god you know legs aren't supposed to look like that when they get hit you know it was horrible so i'm kind of glad that the network decided not to show that replay from that angle well it, interestingly uh it was a single lig- ligament tear from what i understand it wasn't as serious i guess as everybody first thought you know people were saying his career may be over but who knows he, he could make a comeback now but um i mean it's, you could look at it both ways i mean some people they want it see that stuff they want to see those those plays or those sites or whatever other people like yourself I and mean, you don't want to see it so i mean i fully respect that i i don't i didn't care one way or another about seeing that particular play every time i see the thiesman injury though it's uh it's hard to watch yeah, it was sandwiched it he was sandwiched. he had lawrence taylor on top of him and i believe harry carson toward the bottom he was just sandwiched on that play and even lawrence taylor is uh you know, as fierce a player as he was, and he he was signaling for the the guys on the sidelines, the the doctors and whoever to come back out to come onto the field, and the trainers, the training team to come mm. onto the field and and you know help Theismann out. I mean, he was in really bad shape. Yeah, that, that was horrific. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't need to remember that one. That that's that's yeah. a particular play. That was that was then, a bad one. Then of course Doug Williams' performance in Super Bowl twenty two. I mean his his uh, four touchdown perfor- uh, performance in the in the second quarter of that game, and then the the end result being a, a forty two to seven forty two to ten 
uh, Redskins win over the Denver Broncos that, that game. So, uh, and Williams had the game of his life. I mean, that's what um, made him legendary in the minds of, of so many, you know, having won a Super Bowl like that, being the first black starting quarterback in a Super Bowl and uh, throwing four, four touchdown passes in the second quarter. I mean, everything just opened up for him that game. And the Redskins were also on the line. They were so much bigger than the Denver Broncos. And even the Broncos said it before. I remember interviewing um, one of the Broncos uh, defensive backs uh, about that game. And he said, you know, we saw some of those Redskins hogs, those Redskins offensive linemen. We said, my God, we have even we have nobody even close to that size. Yeah, so they, were they were huge. Bunch. Yeah, big bunch, that's for sure. Yeah. So, now, Mike, you have, uh, you know, so you reminded us of so many great players and moments in Redskins history uh, back in that day period of the 80s basically now do you have uh we mentioned at the beginning that uh, you have a website and you have uh, four books out on the redskins and where maybe you could uh at least tell us a couple of the books that would have some of this era uh, of redskins history that people could get to read up on this and uh, to enjoy the history further maybe you could share with us your website again and the, the books that they should go after sure darren i'm happy to do that my website is MikeRichmanJournalist.com, and Richmond is R-I-C-H-M-A-N, MikeRichmanJournalist.com. And to go to the books page in particular, uh, you put a uh, forward slash at the end of uh, books. So MikeRichmanJournalist.com forward slash books. And um, all of my books are featured on the website. My first book, The Redskins Encyclopedia, came out in 2007. Then I followed up uh, three years later with the Washington Redskins Football Vault. And then in 2015, my book uh, was published, Joe Gibbs, An Enduring Legacy. And as we speak, my latest book, George Allen, Football Life, has hit the shelves. So the Redskins Encyclopedia is a uh, compilation of the team's history from its inception in 1932 all the way through the 2006 season, so 75 years of Redskins history, um, the uh, Redskins vault is, uh, it's a very heavy memorabilia book. There's uh, pre uh, replicas of uh, press passes, game program covers, ticket stubs. They're, they're all throughout the book, but, and I wrote the text for the book. Um, so uh, the memorabilia really makes that book special. The Joe, book Joe Gibbs an Enduring Legacy, uh, which was published by his foundation Youth for Tomorrow. That is, uh, it's, basically formatted on the four pillars of Gibbs' life. His, and those are the four chapters. His Redskins coaching career, uh, his NASCAR experiences, which he's still involved in, NASCAR ownership, his uh, involvement with Youth for Tomorrow, which he founded in the 1980s and uh, still runs to this day, and which is a uh, wonderful home uh, here in, uh, near where I live in Virginia that um, houses um, uh, kids that, you know, Teenagers have been involved in sex trafficking, victims of sex trafficking, uh, drug addiction, uh, run-ins with the law, things like that. And then um, uh, my latest book, uh, George Allen, A Football Life, is a full-fledged biography on the legendary NFL coach. The uh, third has the third winningest, third winningest um, coach in NFL history in terms of percentage. He's seven twelve. Uh, John Madden is first. Uh, Vince Lombardi is number two, and then comes George Allen for coaches with at least. 100 career victories. So I wrote a full biography on George Allen. And like I said earlier, I grew up with the George Allen Redskins. That was my team 
when George Allen came here in 71, I was 10 and I just became hooked. So I, I felt it was uh, my obligation to, to write about George Allen and his life really hasn't been, been researched that much. And when I undertook the project, I mean, uh, nobody, there was no authoritative biography on George Allen. So I, I was happy to take on that role. Oh, we're, we're looking forward to, to getting a copy of that one and uh, some of these other ones too. And folks, if you are driving a car or you're, you're riding your bike or whatever, listen to this podcast, we will have a link uh, to Mike's website to get you there when you're done with uh, your driving and you're safe and uh, can order a, a copy of the books, uh, you know, get, get all four of them. You know, you can get, I think all four of them on your, your site too. The right? Three of them are available. The Redskins Encyclopedia, the Redskins Vault and George Allen, a football life. The Washington Redskins football vault was so popular in the year, close to two years that it was out. I mean, it sold out on the first printing. So it was a very, very popular book. It was, it's a nice. really a, I wouldn't call it unique because the Buffalo Bills have a similar book as well, a memorabilia book like that. But those are the only two NFL teams that I know of that have that type of book. There are college basketball and football programs that have that, but no, but the Redskins and the uh, Buffalo Bills are the only two teams that have that very nice well mike we really appreciate you you sharing this uh great historic uh era of uh football of professional football and for your team the, the washington redskins uh washington franchise and talking about these great you know coach J joe gibbs and some of the other coaches that we've sort of circumvented but talked a little bit about we're going to talk a little bit more about george allen here in a coming episode uh when, once we get into that book a little bit we'll, we'll dive into that so we'll love to have you on again to do that and uh we really thank you for your time and and helping us understand and remember uh, these great uh, Washington teams from that era. Well, thank you very much, Darren. I, I really enjoyed being on with you. And I know you're, you're a great uh, pro football historian yourself and, and the questions were, were, were perfect. And so thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.